Well, good morning, Sailorville. And uh, individuals around the world that are watching us as well, we interrupt this series in Ephesians to bring you a missionary conference message. So if you brought a copy of scripture with you today, you can find Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we want to welcome everyone here to our missions conference. Uh, those of you here, we uh, Andrew mentioned the Love Alls uh, and the Lathams who are with us uh, in in body, and we'll be celebrating them uh, tonight as well. But we have missionaries all around the world that we support that are watching. Missionaries in, in Brazil and in Peru. We have missionaries in Ireland that are watching and in Germany that are watching right now. And our very own Tyler and Kat Betts, who we sent out. There, see Andrew in the background? They're watching. Let's give them a round of applause. They're watching right now from France. We sent them out four years ago. The only question is, who's going today? Let's talk to God about that, shall we? Our Father, it's good to be able to pray and come to you, the God who sees all, knows all, can do all. Nothing is impossible with you. And so we come humbly before you, even as we have sung our praises. And I pray, dear God, that today we would understand what a church on the move looks like. And we pray, Lord, for all of our missionaries, those watching live from around the world, and those here, every individual in this room, that we would understand, Lord, what it means to understand the gospel, and to preach the dia morturimai, the, the thorough, full-vetted gospel, the full-throated gospel, and thus watch the world changed around us for your glory. Help us now in these moments to give our undivided attention to you and your word and to the church on mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 24. Just the other day, I was in a coffee shop, and uh, one of the many haunts that I go to, and this particular one, I saw my old friend Bob. Anybody remember Bob? It's been a number of years since I've talked about my friend Bob. Uh, we became I, friends a stretch, okay? Bob is a liberal theologian, is not a Christian. Does, not sure he believes in God, but he understands the Bible, and he's a, he's a very apt historian, very interesting person to interact with. As I've had many encounters with Bob over the years, some of them not so cool. But I saw Bob, and I greeted him warmly, and we chatted just about, you know, small things for a little bit. And we got into the subject of missions as he talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as he called him, or Bonhoeffer. He was the, you know, the, the martyr who died just before World War II ended at the hands of Hitler. And he's fascinated in Bonhoeffer. We talked about missions and, and what an intellect uh, Bonhoeffer had. And I, in the course of the conversation, I said, have you ever heard of Jim Elliott, the missionary to Ecuador who died with four of his friends trying to reach the Elka Indians. He said, no, he'd never heard of him. I couldn't believe it, but I wasn't surprised because he's all about intellect. And, he, and because, you know, although Jim Elliott had a huge intellect, you know, he didn't live long enough to write a bunch of stuff. So uh, 
So he didn't know, so I explained it to him, and I said, you know, and after they were killed, his wife actually went back into that tribe, and many of them became Christians. And Bob looked at me, he said, that's too bad. I hate missionaries. Now, why would he say that? Well, he went on and said, they, they've done more to ruin people and places in the world than any other group of people. Our conversation didn't go very long after that. Why would he say that, though? I'll give it to you in a word, Paul's word, because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul didn't stop there. This is what he said a few moments later. He said this, for in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its kind of wisdom. It pleased God. Now, it pleased God what? Watch this. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Charles Spurgeon said in the late 1800s, it is the tendency of the times, and if so then, how about more now, to denounce preaching, but it is the foolishness of preaching which changes the world. Dick Hillis has said more recently, it is not our responsibility to bring the world to Christ. It is our responsibility to bring Christ to the world. Now, you might be wondering what this is here, but so let me just take the guesswork away. This is my friend Manny. Manny the mannequin, how's that, huh? Looking dapper, isn't he? And we want to thank our friends at the men's warehouse in Ankeny for offering up Manny here to us. Dressed to the nines from head to toe. Looking good, wouldn't you agree? Looking really good. So um, he's well-dressed. He just, just doesn't move real good. In fact, in order to see him, you have to, wait for it, go to him. You have to go to him, to the men's warehouse where he resides. Some of you have seen, as you've drone down, driven down the roads, these, uh, these arrow signs, somebody's ha hanging, the, you know, come on, come, come see our store. It's all an attempt for you to come and see, come and see. And there's a lot of churches out there who exist in the same way. They just, they pull out every stop to get you and me to come and see. What if, however, what if, as a result of being at the men's warehouse, a real person clothed in their product were to model like somebody on a runway the very outfits that the men's former wear have that you have to go see. You got to appreciate it. Only Curtis Johnson could do this. Give him a round of applause. Looking very dapper, Curtis. Very, very dapper. Churches should do both. There should be something worth coming and seeing. Amen? But our call is to go and tell. And at Sailorville Church, by the way, missions is no much, not so much come and see, but go and tell. And at Sailorville Church, we have a saying that we are a church on mission. We live on the move. So in a sense, listen carefully, 
the church gathered right now is the mannequin. You are the mannequin. The church scattered is the model. Not waiting for the lost to come and see, but going to the lost that they might see and believe. Amen? Let's thank Curtis again as he's helped us here. In his book, A Third of Us, Marvin Newell has stated Jesus' last words should be our first priority. And we're going to look at Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven from Luke's perspective. Every one of the gospel accounts gives a great commission beyond the classic one that we're familiar with in Matthew chapter 28. But even John said, he's got a little sliver, he says, as the Father has sent me, what? I'm sending you, right? But I love the thoroughness of Luke's gospel, and here's what it says beginning in verse 44. Then he said to them, this is Jesus talking, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's already died, he's rose again, he's about ready to ascend. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, read entire Old Testament, must be what? Fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day, having been buried, rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So church, if you are to live on mission, live on the move, as we say, according to this text, you will do so first by preaching the gospel. Listen to this, by preaching the gospel, declaring prophecies already fulfilled. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Because he'd already, he's already come, amen? Some of us, and here's the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this. Some of us, while emphasizing prophecies of Jesus' second coming, have forgotten the fulfilled prophecies of his first coming, which is the reason we believe the second coming is coming, amen? But look what he says there in verse 44. Everything written must be fulfilled. And hallelujah, it was fulfilled. We're talking 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament. So, I mean, and, I, 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 and I get it, they're not all about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but most of them were. There are futuristic ones as well. Some of the prophecies of Jesus' life and death and resurre resurrection, rather, are, were and are so clear, so clear, that Jews to this day, when they read publicly through the Bible in their synagogues, September is the month they read through Isaiah. And every year, and every Orthodox synagogue, when they read through Isaiah, they skip chapter 53. They will not read it. Because it's so 
clearly prophesies of the coming Jesus who has come. And I'm not downplaying future prophecy. The Lord's used that to strike the fear of himself in me. It's how I got saved, looking at the fact that the imminent return of Jesus, any time return of Jesus was possible, I believed it, I still believe it. It put the fear of God in me. I still have the fear of God in me pertaining to the return of Jesus, but for different reasons now. Because what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, by the fear of the Lord, I persuade men. Have you ever read that? So a different reason for that fear. And by the way, just last week, my wife was teaching in the, great theologi- the greatest theological class in our church, the twos and threes. <laughs> and she was teaching uh, on the blind, one of the blind men that Jesus had healed. And in the, while, while in the midst of the teaching, a little girl raised her hand and she goes, Jesus is coming again. It was precious. In fact, it was a highlight of my week last week. Just, I mean, that's just totally on her mind. She, you don't just say those things unless... You're singing those songs and reading those passages in your home. Jesus is coming again. And he is. Amen? I love that. But here's Jesus' point here. I've already come. Already fulfilled hundreds of of God's promises. Jesus has proven his deity. He's demonstrated his power. He has lavished his love. He has suffered for all. For God so loved the world. Amen? He gave his only, his one and only son. Preach this. And when I say preach, don't picture somebody behind a pulpit or a stand. It just means, the word preach just means to proclaim. Proclaim this. Just the other day, I had a friend text me. She was Disturbed because she'd found out that one of America's favorite evangelical pastors, many, I won't name him, but you'd know him, doesn't believe exactly what she believes and what we believe or what I believe about the return of Jesus. And I comforted her to know that, yes, it's, there's a little nuance of difference here, but no threat to the gospel. But I was immediately reminded of the words of Oswald J. Smith, who said, we talk about the second coming, half the world hasn't heard about the first. Let that sink in. Church on the move, I am here to declare to you once again, Jesus has come. Proclaim it. Church on the move. Do so. By preaching the gospel of repentance and faith. Did you notice in the reading that the, the verse 45 tells us that the first thing Jesus did before he explained the gospel to them was he opened their minds. You see, to understand the scripture. You see that? That's the first thing he did, which was a nice thing for him to do. Amen? Which is what he does to us when we truly believe. So, Then, and only then, does he lay out the message. And you see it there in the text again in verse 47. And that repentance, oh, verse, he says, no, in verse 46. And he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, that's the cross, and on the third day, implication that he was buried, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. So he lays it all out. Death Burial, resurrection. Did you hear that? Resurrection. 
I, had, I remember somebody from this platform years ago say, I give you the gospel in five words. Christ died for our sins. And I sat back there and I thought, you are wrong. We don't, we don't worship a dead Jesus, amen? The gospel isn't good news unless he rose from the dead. Keep that in mind. That is the essence of the gospel, death, burial, resurrection. I've often said, if I baptize people the way some of you witness, I just hold them under the water until they're dead. <laughs> but praise God, we pull them out, amen? As picture that we are risen with him, right? Amen? And, but does he, again, this is a thorough, look what he says, is and repentance and forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness. That's why I love Luke's rendition here. The Apostle Paul, after spending three years with the Ephesians, was getting ready to leave. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 21, he says this. He, said, he reminded them, I was testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, watch this, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever read that? You see that word I have underlined there, that word testi testifying? That's the word I uttered in my prayer. It's the word, I wasn't speaking in tongues, okay? It's the word dia martyrami. It comes from two words, martar, martyr. We get our word martyr from the, the guts of the word. But the prefix dia means thoroughly, completely, fully. So he's saying fully testifying, completely, completely testifying, repentance towards God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is Paul reminding the Ephesians of the gospel that he preached to them, a, a, a true and intellectually right, we don't get simply saved by what we hear in the intellect. It has to come into our minds, into our hearts. We have to accept it with our wills. But it better be a right story, amen? Just days later, the Apostle Paul, after he uttered these words to the Ephesians, weeks later anyway, he finds himself in Jerusalem. And while he's in Jerusalem, his life is on the line. They're literally trying to tear him apart limb from limb. He's so fearful of what might happen, Jesus himself appears to Paul. In Acts chapter 23, here's what Jesus said to him. He said, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, this is Jesus to Paul, take courage for as you have, what's the word? Dia mortorami, same word. So as Paul cited the Ephesians, Jesus reminded Paul, you have given a thorough testimony to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you gotta do the same thing in Rome. Isn't that cool? So the church on the move must give a thorough testimony. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose, he ascended into heaven. You must repent and believe the gospel. The word repent is the word metanoia. And the only reason I share that Greek word with you is because it comes from two words, meta and noia. Meta means to change. and It, it implies a change uh, as a result of being with somebody. And the other word is noia, metanoia. Noia is the word for mind. So literally the word repentance means your mind is changed. And I'm here to tell you if you consider yourself a Christian and God has not changed your mind, you're not a Christian. That's what he does. He changes your mind. He changes your outlook. He changes the way you see things. This just came to my mind in 2 Corinthians chapter 
5 verse, four, uh, verse 16, he says, we no longer view things that way. That's, that's, that's because he's repented. And I love this. Jesus opened their minds, we saw that, so that they could preach a gospel that would change the minds of others. And that's why we say we preach a gospel that's thorough, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And that does beg the question, has he changed your mind? Has he changed? Because let me tell you something. When your mind is changed, you change. Isn't that true? When you really change your mind, you change. And that's what repentance does. When you turn to God, away from your sin, God changes your mind and makes you a whole new person. Have you repented and believed? I led a guy to Christ years ago at the church I formerly pastored who was a, he was a, country, he was a country bumpkin farmer, successful farmer actually, but he was notorious as a thief in the community. Stole stuff all the time. Led him and his wife to Christ and it kind of came to me over the, kind of reverberated back to me a couple months later. Aren't you rejoicing that you guys say, yeah, but have you heard? I mean, this is what, he, this is what he's known for. So I went and talked to him. I said, look, I'm told that you are known as a thief in the area. Is that true? He goes, I'll never forget what he says. He goes, well, I don't think like that anymore. You know what he said to me? He said to me, I've repented, and he did. So this is what we do. Church on the move, proclaim the clear, thorough gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So thirdly, church on the move. We... When we live on the move, we do so by preaching the gospel first here, then there, then to the nations. Look at the end of verse 47. I love the way Luke renders Jesus' words. He says, preach to all the nations. Do you see that? And then he says, beginning from Jerusalem. One of our missionaries not with us is Russ Matthews. And they're watching as well, except a lot their time is like three days different than ours. Whatever it is, it's not very good. <laughs> he knows what's going on here this morning, though. He, he's from our church. Russ was a businessman. He worked for The Gap. And we, used to, we, we even had a little line we used to use around here years ago. If somebody came in looking, you know, really dapper, they would say, you're looking very RM today, like Russ Matthews, because he was such a sharp dresser. God got a hold of his heart to become a missionary. And he, I said, what do you want to be a missionary for? I want to reach the businessmen in the heart of Sydney, one of the most metropolitan international cities in the world. I said, well, you're not going to do it unless you're doing it here. I said, what do you want to do? I want to reach them right there in their work environment. So you know what he did? He created a ministry called JAW, J-A-W, Jesus at Work. He went downtown. He went to our DOT. He worked with John Godwin here. And he brought Jesus to the workplace right here in this Jerusalem. And you know what? We sent him to another one. But only on the basis of the fact that he was doing it here. Jesus said in the much more, well, much more popular verse, Acts 1, verse 8, he said to his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses. That's the word marturamai. That doesn't have the dia. You're going to be a witness. You're going to testify of me. Here in Jerusalem and in Judea 
and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you follow the book of Acts, that's, that's like an outline of the book of Acts right there. If you're proclaiming it near, and some of you are. In fact, somebody told me in the first service they led their 80-year-old neighbor to Christ just the other day. Praise the Lord. If you're proclaiming it here, you might be ready to go there. The Joshua Project, which we're grateful for the Joshua Project for giving us so many stats and helping us to, our, our own eyes to see the desperate need in this world. Reminds us that there are nearly 8 billion people in the world. There are 195 nations in the world. By the way, uh, Nate, worship, Nate and Liz Worsham are in Berlin with their, with their son, and with our team that's there, our young team that's there. And they were in a church this morning with 25 people representing seven nations. 25 people, seven nations. That's incredible. The Joshua Project reminds us there are nearly 17,500 distinct people groups in the world. 17,500. And here's where it gets heavy. 42% have never been reached. 42% have never been reached. That's over 3 billion people, a third of us, with a nod to the book I referred to, who've never heard the gospel. No Bible, no church, no believers. 87% of Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists in this world, 87% have never met a Christian. Never even met one. Just the other day, a dear woman in our church who's serving the Lord in One of our agencies is hanging out. She's had multiple Bible studies with a Burmese woman. This Burmese woman has either trusted Christ, she's really close to being saved, and she asked her the other day, what about all my ancestors who've never heard the gospel? And when I heard this from her, I thought of what Carl Henry said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Jesus says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And so are you. So am I. Listen, don't consider crossing the ocean if you're not willing to cross your own street. Church on the move, go. But first, start in your own neck of the woods, your own Jerusalem. And if you will, know this, if you will, if you'll commit yourself to that, know this, you'll go not only with Jesus, but in his power, which gives way to my last point, by live on the move, by preaching the gospel in the power of God. Jesus' church, now listen carefully to this, Jesus' church was never intended to be a mannequin, which truth to tell, many of you could admit right now, that's the way you've lived your Christian life. You got your little commune at home. Some of you are in your commune in your Christian school, and I'm not condemning any of these things. You move amongst Christians, 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 and I come to church, and I 
looked dapper. The church on the move was never intended to be a mannequin. But a living, breathing, moving, clothed in the power of God, change agent in this world. That's what we're called to be. Even though Jesus had already taught these disciples about the Holy Spirit the night before he died, these guys had no idea what was about to hit them. And to empower them when the Spirit of God came upon them. He hasn't changed. Look what Jesus said again in verse 48. You're gonna be clothed with power from on high. What a great expression. Our mannequin is clothed, but not with power. But not with power. The promise Jesus referred to here is the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder what the Holy Spirit looks like? Just go like this. Well, he looks like a dove, doesn't he? No, he doesn't look like a dove. <laughs> you know what I think he looks like? In the Old Testament, he looked a lot like Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon? Judges chapter six, he's one of the judges. He's a scaredy cat. He's very fearful. In fact, the whole story, his fear is always there, just sort of incrementally growing as it goes. Right after his initial act of obedience when God called Gideon, which was to tear down his father's idol altar, the Bible tells us, look at this, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Look at that. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? That is odd. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Literally, the Hebrew says the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Took Gideon and put him on. That's why I say it looked a lot like Gideon in the Old Testament. You want to know what the Spirit of the Lord looks like now? He looks like you. He looks like you. You, when you preach in the power of God. And when you preach in the power of God, you will take risk. You can't help it. God will, will just, he'll just come in. I, I, can't, I can't explain it. I can tell you what happened just the other day. I'm in a different coffee shop. And I'm there, and I'm like, I'm like a man on a mission. Not to talk to anybody. In fact, I, I almost said to God, okay, God, I need this. In fact, I did say to God, I need this time. I need to study. I need to, I need to bear down on this. I've got so much. I had, all, I had, I had four messages to get done. I, I don't have any time to talk to anybody. I looked up, and there was a couple just staring at me. <laughs> Never knew him. Never met him before. Sharp-looking couple in their 40s, businessman. And he says, uh, hey, can we join you? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sat down right by us, by me, rather. Uh, what are you? Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Doggone it, that's what I am. He says, hey, we have questions. And for the next hour, I gave them a diamartoramai, a thorough testimony, back and forth in the discourse with them. For a full hour, I was able to lay the gospel. And let me tell you something. In that moment, I sensed this surge. I sensed this power. I sensed this sense from God this is your task. Hide it under a bushel? No! And you'll have that power too as you walk in the Spirit. You'll take risks. 
Shane Latham, one of our missionaries here, you'll, if you haven't run into him, you will. Sometime back, he got to spend time in the home of Brother Andrew. If you've never read Brother Andrew's book, God's Smuggler, you probably should. Going into these places that are unreached. He got to go to the home of Brother Andrew, spend a little time with him, ask Brother Andrew, could you bless me before I leave? Would you, how would you bless us as we leave? And Brother Andrew said, I would bless you with this. Don't take care. Take risks. What a line. Don't take care. Take risk. You don't take risk unless you go in the power of God. Amen? You won't take risks. Remember Thomas, Doubting Thomas? That's how he's known. What a, what a name. Doubting Thomas. You know, he, he's the one who wasn't there on the, on, the, on the resurrection day. He's the one who said, I'm not going to believe unless I can see, unless I can touch him. He did, and Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who, who believe not seeing. Sort of a dubious distinction to be called doubting Thomas, right? But let me tell you something. Days later, the Spirit of God would fill Thomas like he did the rest of those guys, and he would be a change agent for the world. Not a mannequin, but a model. Church tradition tells us he traveled thousands of miles many more miles than any of the other apostles so far that there is a region in southern India today which claims their origin with Thomas who went there with the gospel. They traced their origins to him. What will your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren trace their origin back to. What will they find when they come back to you? The power of God will turn you from one who doubts to one who is determined. Church on the move. Go! Go! Go wherever God leads you. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the diamartoramai, the thorough gospel, not as a mannequin, but as a model, on the move, and in the power of God. Would you stand with me right now? I'm going to pray. And as I pray over you, and our band comes up to sing a couple of songs, I'm going to ask you. The first service, this place was full. I don't know what's going to happen here. I never know what's going to happen. I'm asking you if God has spoken to your heart to be a man on the move, to be a woman on the move, to be a boy on the move, to be a girl on the move for Jesus, not as a mannequin, but as a model. Here in Jerusalem, and maybe, maybe some of you, somewhere else in the world, maybe an unreached part of the world, if God has spoken to your heart, would you just come up here and kneel? Nobody's gonna interrupt you. You just make it between you and God, and we'll trust God to do his thing. So God, that's our prayer right now as I pray over these precious ones and symbolically over those watching online. 
that you would make us a church on the move, that you would make us as individuals, not mannequins, but models, living, breathing, moving in the midst of evil, untouched by it. Protect us, O Lord, and use us for your glory. Call people out today, Lord, this moment we ask in Jesus' name.